0: When it comes to the subject of eschatology, many pastors avoid the topic of end-time events altogether. One reason why? Well, it's because biblical eschatology can be extremely controversial, and many pastors are concerned that it could end up splitting their church. Another reason for why many pastors shy away from this subject? Well, it's due to the fact that they really don't take the Bible seriously. Yeah, many pastors don't take the Bible seriously. As a matter of fact, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University conducted a study back in 2022, and this study discovers that a staggering 62% of pastors don't have a biblical worldview. Grasp that for a moment. 62% of pastors polled didn't have an actual biblical worldview. Instead, they've, off, uh, they, they, they've opted for some sort of syncretic worldview, which includes many unbiblical beliefs. And with that being the case, well, we shouldn't be surprised to learn that many pastors won't even touch this topic of prophecy. Why? Because they don't take the Bible seriously. Not only that, but there are many Christians who don't spend any time studying this subject and they prefer attending churches where pastors never touch the topic. Well, And one reason for this is due to the fact that the apocalyptic events that are described in the scriptures, well, they tend to fill our hearts with fear. And let's be honest, there are many scriptures that contain scary subjects when it comes to end time events. And so with that being the case, there are many Christians who they don't want to study the scriptures regarding end-time prophecies because, well, it's too fearful for them. Another reason why many Christians steer clear of the subject is due to the fact that there's a great diversity of theological doctrines pertaining to topics like the rapture of the church and the rise of the Antichrist and the second coming of Jesus Christ and You know, with that being the case, many believers simply believe that people really don't know what they're talking about when it comes to this topic. It's for this reason that uh, some simply avoid this subject altogether for fear of being wrong or maybe even for the fear of ending up being misled. And while I realize that this subject can make many Christians very uncomfortable Well, it's my hope that this prophecy update today will actually encourage the hearts of every believer here. Well, here in our time today, we're going to take the time to consider the incredible events, which will help us to see the proof that many end-time prophecies are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. And with this as the focus, I'd like to begin by presenting you with an outline for this special study. We're going to begin by first considering the importance of maintaining a prophetic coherence which is in line with the scriptures. Secondly, we're going to see the particular convergence of events that are currently taking place. And then thirdly and finally, I want to provide you with personal confidence which comes from our faith in the prophetic promises of the Lord. Well, with this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's encouraging his apostles to accept the limitations that the Lord has placed on our understanding of end-time events. And as we make our way to the first chapter of Acts, I just want to take a moment to address the most common question that more and more people are presenting me once they find out that I'm a pastor. For example, it was during my recent vacation there to Big Bend, I found myself uh, in the middle of uh, several conversations regarding the end times, and I was quickly asked about the time frame of the events in relationship uh, to where we are today. In other words, people want to know where we are on God's prophetic calendar. And so several times in these conversations, I was presented with a simple question like, you know, so how close are we? How close are we to the end of time? Well, with this question in mind, it might interest you to know that the apostles wanted to know the same thing. The apostles of Christ wanted to know when the millennial kingdom would come. And it was there on the day of Christ's ascension when the apostles presented Jesus with this basic question. And so if you would look with me here at Acts chapter 1, we'll begin reading at verse 6. Here Luke informs us that when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. In other words, they want to know, is this the time that you're going to establish your millennial reign? And in verse 7, he says to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, as we consider this conversation that transpired just before the ascension of our Savior, it's important to remember that this conversation actually took place 40 days before the beginning of the church age. This conversation took place 40 days before The beginning of the church age, and as we consider their question about uh, about Christ uh, restoring the kingdom of Israel, and as as we consider their their desire to know the time frame when Christ would establish His kingdom, well, it seems clear to me that they really didn't understand uh, about the church age that was about to transpire, and instead they wanted to know when the end of times would finally be fulfilled. And in response, the Lord Jesus. He shifts their focus from the millennial kingdom of Christ to the time period that we call the church age, which began 40 days later on the day of Pentecost. Notice again, beginning there at verse 7, where the Lord Jesus answers their question about the restoration of Israel. And he does this by declaring, "...it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority." But instead, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So that's the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then he says this, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the church age. Rather than answering the question about the millennial uh, kingdom of Christ, the Lord decides to redirect their attention to the dispensation of grace, which is also known as the church age. And not only that, but he also assures them that there are times and there are seasons that God the Father has put into his own authority. In other words, God the Father has chosen to withhold information from us about the times and the order of events which will culminate in the second coming of Christ Jesus. Not to say that he's withheld all information, but there are details that God the Father has decided we don't need to know. And we ought to accept that. There are things that God the Father has determined for us to not know, and we should be good with that. I like the way that the Lord sums it up in Matthew chapter 24. It's in verse 36. There Jesus declares, Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus, in his humanity, assured his apostles that when it comes to the day and the hour of Christ's return, well, God the Father has determined to withhold this information from us according to his perfect plan. And with that being the case, you know, every believer will do well to realize that the rapture of the church could actually happen at any minute. The rapture of the church could happen in the next minute, and and I'm down for that. At the same time, though, listen, the rapture of the church could happen in another hundred years. The rapture of the church could happen in a thousand years. We just don't know. This information has been withheld from us. Therefore, the Christians who are engaging in all of their calculations, all in an attempt to figure out the day and the hour of the rapture, well, they're simultaneously failing to grasp the importance of maintaining a prophetic coherence according to the scriptures. Just to be clear, the word coherence it speaks of the logical interconnection between two things. Coherence also refers to the rational consistency between what we believe and reality. You know, if what you believe doesn't line up with reality, then you're not believing truth. Prophetic coherence then, you know, as we consider the context of this study, when somebody believes something about prophecy that is not found in the Bible well, then chances are what they believe doesn't really line up with the truth. When our beliefs about end-time events fail to correspond with the prophecies that we find in the Bible, then we're probably believing something that isn't in line with reality. For example, you know when Jesus tells us that no one will know the day nor the hour? Well, those who say they know the day and the hour are failing to maintain a prophetic coherence according to the scriptures. And it's sad to say that there are many who have, you know, decided to go down this road. There are many Christians who fail to maintain prophetic coherence according to the scriptures and as a result, the internet is now filled with videos of false teachers who assure us that they've somehow cracked the code. You know, they've figured it out. They got the geometria going. They got the program going that digs into the, to the you know, numerical codes that are found in the words. And they subtracted, you know, seven Shemitahs from five. And they came up with three and seven and, and 24 and one, 144,000. And these sorts of things and bada, bada boom, bada, bing. They know the, the date. I think I'm joking. The internet is filled with these guys and girls. And yet I can assure you that there's, there's no way they've figured it out. How do I know this? Because I know what the Bible says. And because I've embraced a prophetic coherence according to the scriptures. I can assure you right now that there is going to be more and more of these videos popping up in our social media feeds you know, because we live in this period of time when I believe we're, we're, on the, we're, we're living on the horizon of the rapture of the church. And so you better believe that there's going to be people trying to get all the likes they can and all the views they can by telling you that they've somehow figured it out. And if you come across a video that features these teachers who have the new calculation, oh, sure, their last calculation failed, but now they, they figured it out. They forgot to carry the one, you know. And, and, and so, you know, they, they know now. They can assure you now that they've figured it all out. The best thing that we can do is ignore these rapture predictions by maintaining a prophetic coherence to the prophecies that we actually find in the Bible. At the same time, though, I also encourage you to watch out for those who are now trying to convince us that the study of end time events is a waste of our time. Yeah, there are those who find themselves on the flip side of the uh, the same coin. You know, you got... On the one side of the coin, those who can tell who tell you that they, they've figured it out, they've cracked the code, and they can tell you the dates. On the other side of the coin are those who are just kind of like, you can't figure it out, so why even pay attention to prophecy at all? Both sides of the coin are bad. I was recently watching a video from a Calvary Chapel pastor that I normally agree with. I mean, I agree with this guy most of the time, and yet, you know, he posted a video here recently about his concerns about all these false teachers who are presenting rapture predictions. And in the midst of warning us uh, about this abundance of these false teachers, he seemingly decided to throw the baby out with the bathwater by declaring, and I quote him here, I've heard so many rapture predictions that I just don't care anymore. Broke my heart to hear it. In other words, you know, he's heard so many people for so long, making so many predictions that have, that have failed that he's no longer interested, it seems, as if he's saying. He's been exhausted by false predictions, and so while he's excited about the second coming of Christ, still believes in the second coming of Christ, he apparently doesn't seem to find much interest in studying the end-time events in light of what's happening here in our times. And it's sad that there are many who share the same sort of sentiment. They've been burnt by previous predictions that they bought into, and it left them a bit shell-shocked, spiritually speaking. And if this sounds like the situation that you find yourself in, then I encourage you to remember that the rapture of the church is actually a blessed event that ought to fill our hearts with hope, not fear. And those who, you know, have you know, been led astray by previous predictions and so now they're no longer interested. It's like, that's not the right attitude. You know, we ought to recognize that it's a mistake to follow after people who make these sorts of predictions. And yet at the same time, we ought to enjoy the hope that fills the hearts of those who believe in the rapture of the church. And so avoid the spiritual charlatans who try to tell us that they've figured it all out while simultaneously remembering that the signs of the times are designed to remind us about the day of our redemption. I I like the way that the Lord Jesus explains it in Luke chapter 21. He's presented a long list of the signs of the times that we're going to see before his second coming. And then he says this in, in verse 28. He says, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near." He doesn't say ignore it, never mind it because, you know, people have been wrong before, so why pay attention today? No. When these things begin to happen, where should we focus? On Jesus. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Christ Jesus was of course referring to the prophetic signs which will transpire just before His second coming. And what this means then is that the Lord has not only called us to pay attention to the signs of the times, but He also encouraged us to see these signs as prophetic indicators which should redirect our attention to the day of our redemption. And with this as the focus, we should take some time to consider how a proper prophetic coherence should lead us to look for the convergence of events which are listed within the prophetic word of God. And according to one count, listen, the Bible actually includes around 2,500 prophecies. That's incredible. What's even more incredible is that approximately 2,000 of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. And yes, this includes all of the prophecies that point to the first advent of our Savior Jesus. Jesus. What this also means, then, is that there are around 500 prophecies that still yet point to future events, which include the rapture of the church, the rise of the Antichrist, and the return of Jesus Christ. 500 prophecies that are either being fulfilled or have yet to be fulfilled. And as we consider these 500 prophecies, well, It only stands to reason that we ought to see a convergence of events transpiring at the same time just before the rapture of the church. And this brings us to our second point because, listen, the Christians who maintain a prophetic coherence by studying the end-time prophecies that we find in the Bible will then be able to recognize the particular convergence of events that will take place before the rapture of the church. And with this as the focus... I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. You see, it's here in the 24th chapter of Matthew where we find the Lord Jesus. He's presenting his disciples with the signs of the end times. And listen, it's the particular convergence of these signs that should help us to see what time it is on God's prophetic calendar. I want to consider how Jesus explains it here in Matthew chapter 24. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 4. Here Matthew tells us that Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines. Pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. Will betray one another. And will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold here in these verses we find the lord he's prophetically presenting a list of signs which will transpire just before his second coming And while many are quick to dismiss the significance of these signs by insisting that, well, this is common uh, of all the ages. You know, throughout all of the ages, there have been wars and rumors of wars. Throughout all the ages, there have been natural disasters and, and famines and pestilence and these sorts of things. Throughout all the ages of the world, we've seen these things happening. So why would we think that the things that are happening today would line up with this prophecy? Well, listen... It's important to understand that it's not just one of these things happening at one point in time. It's a convergence of these things all happening at the same time. That's what we should be looking for. And while it's true that the end times will be a time of wars and plagues and natural disasters and the persecution of believers, listen, it's also true that the last days will be comparable to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So this should be a part of the convergence of events that take place before the second coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, it's in Luke 17 where Christ Jesus declares, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the son of man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that the Lord went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, or in the same way, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus, he's comparing the last days to the days of Noah. And just to be clear, listen, Moses actually, Moses described the days of Noah as a time when the wickedness of man was great in the earth because every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does that sound like what's happening in the world today? If you're confused, just go do like some death scrolling on TikTok and you'll you'll quickly see that. The days we live in today are much like the days of Noah. In similar fashion, the days of Lot were also filled with wicked people who were living for the lusts of their flesh. All the men of the city got together to try to rape two angels who who came in to to save Lot. In both periods of time, sexual immorality was rampant all throughout the world. And, And while we don't have time to do a deep dive on this subject I can assure you that that's exactly what we see happening in the world today the perversion of sexual immorality becoming the norm with all this in mind I want to consider the way that Paul describes the way that people will behave during the last days it's in Second Timothy chapter 3 where Paul declares but know this that in the last days perilous times will come when? The last days. What will it look like? Perilous times. Why? Notice verse 2 Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self control brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that Paul was presenting us with a perfect description of 2023. 2023. This sounds exactly what our society has become. And well, I don't mean to suggest that, well, everybody was perfect up until the 21st century. No, that's not the case at all. And yet what I do mean to say is that there has been an entirely different level of hedonistic narcissism that has taken place in our society since the synchronicity of cell phones and social media. The combination of cell phones and social media has created a brand new monster of hedonistic narcissism. As a matter of fact, there are multiple studies which have shown a connection between the use of social media and the increasing levels of narcissism that are, uh, that are you know uh, being created here in this world. And, and, and just to be clear, listen, the symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder, just in case you want to self-diagnose this morning... They include the following traits a grandiose sense of self, or what we call Instagram. Yeah, a grandiose sense of self, which leads people to become preoccupied with fantasies of their own power and success and their brilliance and their beauty. Narcissistic people also believe that they're unique. You know, we call them snowflakes, they're exceptional resulting in an extreme sense of entitlement. The narcissist also requires constant adoration, admiration, and praise, while then also manipulating or exploiting others in order to get what they want. They lack empathy for others while simultaneously feeling envious if somebody else gets something that they want that they don't have. And at the same time, uh, they're arrogant and haughty as they think, that everyone else is always envious of them, like everybody else is looking at what they have and is and, and completely envious of what they've achieved. Now listen, I can assure you that there's always been these sorts of people in the world since, since the day Cain killed Abel. We've seen narcissistic people on this planet. At the same time, there should be no doubt that there's been a rapid increase in the number of people who suffer from narcissism, There's been an increase in the number of people who demonstrate these narcissistic tendencies, which Paul described back in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And listen, many experts agree that social media has contributed to this recent increase in narcissism. Now, the skeptic might say that, well, social media has only just given them a platform to express their narcissism. And yet, if we go back to prophetic coherence, Paul says that this, is going to, this form of narcissism is going to increase in the last days. And so I choose to believe what Paul said and, and not just skeptically explain away the narcissism that we see happening today. We are now watching, according to the prophecy of Paul, this hedonistic epidemic creating this, the, the perilous times that Paul prophetically described. And at the same time, we're also witnessing the great apostasy that's occurring within the church that Paul prophetically announced. As a matter of fact, it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he declares this. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him... So we're talking about the last days, the same days when men will become lovers of themselves. So as we watch narcissism increasing, we're going to see this happening at the same period of time. In verse 2, he says, Don't be soon, uh, that you, we shouldn't be soon shaken in mind or trouble either by spirit or by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, when? The the day of the Lord. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That phrase, falling away, it's translated from the Greek word apostasia. And apostasia refers to a defection from the truth. And it's sad to say that most mainline denominations throughout the world have fully entered into this state of apostasy. Time would fail me to present you with everything that I saw happening throughout 2023 as mainline denominations continue to embrace queer theology as well as the ordination of those who proudly endorse the LGBTQIA agenda as something that God created because he loves these people. And it's sad to say that I have no time to present all of the examples of church leaders and churches who are endorsing the LGBTQIA agenda as normal and in line with God's will as if God created them in this sort of way. From this, we see that we are watching mainline denominations slipping further and further into a state of spiritual apostasy, while at the same time watching many people becoming more and more narcissistic as they pursue personal pleasure. And all of this taking place as we watch an increase of natural disasters, this includes volcanoes and, and, and earthquakes and all kinds of weird storms and weather patterns and, you know, what they call climate change now. Yeah, they're calling it climate change. When, in fact, we know that this is all part of God's prophetic plan as we get closer and closer to the rapture of the church. At the same time, we've also been watching the increase of pestilence, and different diseases, some returning. I wonder why. New ones all of a sudden popping up on the scene. Famines taking place. We're we're watching an increase in all of these things just as Jesus foretold. And while the convergence of these signs ought to at the very least be intriguing to us, we must not fail to consider how all of this is also taking place at the same time when Jerusalem has become a cup of drunkenness. Now, to explain what I mean by this, let's consider the prophecy that the Lord presents through the prophet Zechariah. You would turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12, and here we find an end times prophecy about the capital city of Jerusalem and how it will affect the entire world. Now, as you're making your way to the 12th chapter of Zechariah, I just want to take a moment to point out that the, the Bible is actually filled with many end-time prophecies about the rebirth and the reestablishment of Israel. The prophet Ezekiel presented us with a, a prophecy about the dry bones being restored to life just before the uh, invasion that we find in Ezekiel 38. The apostle John describes the day when the third temple will be built there in Jerusalem. And it's here in Zechariah where we learn about the day when Jerusalem will actually make the world tremble as if the world has become drunk. Let's consider how the prophet puts it here in Zechariah chapter 12. Look with me there. We'll begin reading at verse 1 where Zechariah declares this. He says, The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Can anybody say October the 7th? I guess not. Verse 3, it shall happen in that day. When I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all who would heave it away shall surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Now, just to be clear, when Zechariah referred to Jerusalem as a cup of drunkenness, he was helping us to understand that the children of Israel will not only be restored to their land. That's right, this is a prophecy that points to the end of times. This is a time when Jerusalem will be a very heavy stone for all peoples. Was Jerusalem a heavy stone when Assyria invaded? Nope. Assyria took them away captive, no problem. Was Jerusalem a heavy stone when Babylon invaded? Absolutely not was Jerusalem a heavy stone when the Romans took control and then and, and caused the dispersion? Nope. So when is Jerusalem supposed to be a heavy stone for all the nations of the world? Well, I believe that's taking place today. And, and when Zachariah tells us that Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling or a cup of drunkenness, He seems to be suggesting that the decisions made by the leaders there in Jerusalem will end up causing all the nations of the earth to become intoxicated by their hatred of Israel. They're a cup of trembling. They're a cup of drunkenness because the people of this world will be intoxicated with hatred. In other words, you ever talk to a drunk person? You ever try to reason with a drunk person? You can't reason with them. You ever try to have a rational conversation with a drunk person? No. Don't do it. It's a waste of time. Because they can't make any sense of reality. And yet that's the way the world is going to be when it comes down to this conversation of who does the land belong to? And who has a right to defend that land? Trying to talk to an anti-Israeli in this period of time is like talking to a drunk person. They're not going to make any sense. They're just going to chant about genocide of the Jews and from the river to the sea and these sorts of things. It's like trying to reason with a drunk person. And that's what we see happening in the world today. As a matter of fact, we haven't seen this level of anti-Jewish hatred since the rhetoric of Hitler's Third Reich. Case in point, you know, from October the 7th all the way until the beginning of December, the ADL recorded a total of 2,031 anti-Semitic incidents. And just to be clear, these weren't incidents against the Semites known as Arabs. These were incidents against the Semites known as the Jews. 2,031 anti-Semitic incidents Which is up from the four hundred and sixty five incidents that occurred during the same time period in two thousand and twenty two, which at that point in time was up from the same level of or number of incidents from two thousand and twenty one, and we and we've been watching this anti Israel hatred continuing to boil over for many years now. In the final quarter of two thousand and twenty three, there were nearly thirty four anti Israeli incidents every day. 34 every day. This includes 40 incidents of physical assault, 337 incidents of vandalism, and 749 incidents incidents of verbal or written harassment. There were also 905 anti-Israeli rallies, which included hateful rhetoric calling for the genocide of the Jews. And I'm sure we've all seen video of the pro-Hamas protesters out in city streets proclaiming their disgust and hatred of Israel. The world is intoxicated with their hatred of Israel. In light of these things, it's no wonder that the Lord referred to the end times as the time of Jacob's trouble. Here's how he put it in Jeremiah chapter 30, beginning at verse 5. Jeremiah writes, for thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. You know, that's what they're arguing now. That women who identify as men can get pregnant and therefore a man can be pregnant. Now, this was a joke back in the 70s when Monty Python put together a skit. Never mind. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. The obvious answer is no. And yet, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turned pale. Alas! For that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Here in these verses, we find the Lord describing the last days as the time of Jacob's trouble and seeing how Jacob was actually renamed Israel. Well, then there should be no doubt that he was referring not to the days of Jacob, literally, but to the days when Israel would be troubled by the world. To the days when the nations of the world would gather together against the reestablished nation of Israel. And as we consider the way in which the masses are now taking to the streets in order to publicly call for the genocide of the Jews and without any shame at all. Well, it seems to me that we've now entered into the time of Jacob's trouble, which then converges together with all of the other signs that Jesus said we would see just before the second coming of Christ. Now, as we consider the particular convergence uh, convergence of these end-time prophecies, it seems uh, clear to me that the rapture of the church must be on the horizon. And listen, I've barely scratched the surface of all the prophecies that are currently coming to pass that are in line with the signs of the times. As a matter of fact, we're currently witnessing the Ezekiel 38 confederation forming as Russia, Iran and Turkey continue working together and why? Well, you know, that is for the invasion of Israel. We also see the globalists preparing for a one world government, you know, which is going to begin with a central bank digital currency which they're going to offer you, you know, for your benefit. It's going to be so simple to have, you know, digital dollars. And, oh, you know, just to make sure you don't lose your data, you know, we, we want to put you, uh, give you a little chip, you know, a little chip in your right hand or forehead, you know, so that you can make sure that you don't lose your bucks, right? It's convenient. The, available, the, the technology is already available to, to implant every person with these microchips. Simply put, there's a particular convergence of events all of which caused me to believe that the rapture of the church is on the horizon. And this brings us to our third and final point, because listen, we should not only maintain prophetic coherence, making sure that our beliefs about the end times line up with the scriptures, and we should not only recognize the particular convergence of events that are currently taking place, which lead us to see that we are in the uh, end of times, but we should also embrace the personal confidence that comes from the prophetic word of God, so that we don't slip into an irrational fear of these things that are taking place. And with that, I'd like you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. You see, it's here in the first chapter of 2 Peter, we find the Apostle Peter encouraging us to embrace the prophecies of God's word with great confidence as you're making your way to 2 Peter, I just want to remind you that the prophetic word of God ought to fill our hearts with confidence in Christ Jesus. And I want to consider how Peter explains it here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Look with me there, beginning at verse 19. Here the apostle Peter declares, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, here in these verses, we find the apostle Peter. He's assuring his audience that the prophetic word of God has been confirmed. And he's, of course, referring to the transfiguration of Jesus, which he witnessed personally, as well as the physical resurrection of our Lord and Savior, which confirms the prophecies concerning the first advent of Christ. When Jesus rose from the grave, he confirmed all of the Old Testament prophecies that point to the incarnation, resurrection of, uh, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the same time, listen, when Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies that pointed to his initial advent, Well, this also provided us with the proof that the prophecies that point to his second coming have also been confirmed. Simply put, Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies regarding his first advent, which now confirms for us that all the prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. We shouldn't have any doubt about it. And it's for this reason that the apostle Peter encouraged every believer to take heed to the prophetic word of God. Not to come to a place where we say, you know what, Christians have been wrong for 2,000 years, and so let's just ignore end-time prophecies. No. Peter says, take heed to these prophecies. Which prophecies? The ones that have already been fulfilled? No. The ones that are yet to be fulfilled. Because these prophecies are like a light that illuminates a dark place. And while it's true that this world is a spiritually dark place, it's also true that the prophetic word of God will provide us with the spiritual light that we need so that we can see in the dark. At the same time, Peter also encouraged us to use the light of the Lord's prophetic word until the light of the sun begins to shine. And I like the way that the scholars who created the American Standard Version of the Bible rendered verse 19. Here's how they put it. We have the word of prophecy made more sure whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a lamp shining a dark place until when until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. From this we can see that the prophecies that point to the second coming of Christ they're able to provide us with spiritual light as we wait for the dawn's early light which will then provide us with more illumination. And if you'll allow me the liberty to engage in a little sanctified speculation here, Peter seems to be informing us here that the Son of God is going to provide us with more illumination the closer we get to the day of his second coming. This reminds me of something that, that we read in, in Daniel chapter 12, where Daniel's directed to seal up the words in the vision of this book. It's Daniel 12, verse 4, where we, we find an angel telling Daniel to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. From this, we can see that the end time prophecies that are found in the book of Daniel, they were spiritually sealed up. Until when? Until the time of the end. Somehow, there was a supernatural veil placed on the writings of Daniel and that veil remained until the end times when travel would become more common and knowledge would increase exponentially. And and, and listen, think about it like this. The closer we get to the end of time, people will travel more and more even, even when, you know, airplane doors get sucked straight off the plane, people are still going to travel. And knowledge is going to cr- increase exponentially. You know, I mean, the knowledge that we have at, at, within our hands, you know, just having a phone and being able to, you know, do searches on any subject, it's, it's amazing. You know, Musk, with his Neuralink company, company, is trying to create some sort of, you know, brain implant that will give you access to the internet just by thinking. It's amazing. And I believe that these are the days in the age that the angel was talking about when people will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And it's in this period of time when the veil that was placed on the book of Daniel has been lifted so that we can better understand the prophecies, say, like in Daniel chapter 9 and in Daniel 12 and these sorts of things. The closer we get to the end of time, the more we will understand the end-time prophecies that we find in the Bible because as we get closer to the dawn of the day, there's more illumination so that we can see. And in order to further explain my point, I just want to take a a second here to consider the difference between the teachings of prophecy pre-1948 and post You know, the reestablishment of Israel, which took place in 1948, was an incredible event that has caused many Christians to rethink their position of end times events. Up until the rebirth of Israel, which again, 1948, up until that point in time, many believers had been led to believe that the end time prophecies were mostly or even entirely fulfilled back in the first century. This eschatological position, commonly called preterism, ended up being officially debunked on the day when the nation of Israel declared their national independence. And the reason why is because many prophecies that pointed to the restoration of Israel were explained away. You know, those who embraced replacement theology just thought, oh, those prophecies are about the church. But then Israel was restored. Israel was reestablished, and all of a sudden, replacement theology, it don't make no sense no more, right? Yeah, our understanding of end time events changed in 1948. Not only that, but amillennialism, which is based on the belief that we're currently living in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. This was proven false in 1948 when Israel was reestablished into their land. And in this way, we can see how our perspective of biblical prophecy is becoming more and more clear the closer we get to the second coming of Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need more prophecies, We don't need more prophecies. The canon of scripture is closed. We don't need ongoing revelation. We need clarity. And the Lord has promised to provide us with this clarity the closer we get to the dawning of the day when Jesus returns. And so we should expect that our understanding of end time prophecies is more clear today than it was back in the first or second or third or fourth and so on and so forth. When we look back to the understanding of eschatology, you know, back in the, in the primitive church, what did they know? They're, they're still trying to make sense of the church even existing. They were still wondering if this was the time that Jesus was going was to restore his kingdom. They didn't know anything about the church age before Pentecost. So you better believe that our understanding of eschatology is clearer today than it's ever been. Those who hold on to, to old in, you know old interpretations of end time events you know because well it's been you know what the church has believed since the you know seventh century yeah, so if it becomes clearer, the closer we get to the second coming of Christ, then we should expect that our understanding of end time events is going to be clearer today, and in this we should have great confidence in the interpretations that we Are able, to, uh, are, are, are able to establish now that we see these events unfolding before our very eyes. With that being the case, I'd like to suggest that those who have confidence, uh, I should say that those who have no confidence in our ability to comprehend end-time prophecies, they're failing to realize that we're living in the days when end-time prophecies of Daniel have been unveiled and now we're beginning to understand them more and more. And not only that, but we're also witnessing the dawn's morning light providing us with the ability to comprehend these end-time prophecies that the Lord has provided within the pages of his holy word. And so I insist that we maintain prophetic coherence according to the scriptures. And yet at the same time, as we watch these things unfolding right before our very eyes, let's make sure that we're reading these prophecies according to the way history is unfolding now. Those who are quick to insist that they have no confidence in the comprehension of end time events, they're going to miss out on the blessings that the Lord promised to provide. And I'm talking about Revelation chapter one verse three, where John says, "This blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near." Christian, do you want to be blessed in 2024? I'm guessing you do. Well, according to John, the Christian who wants to be blessed should read the book of Revelation and hear the words of this prophecy and then keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. In closing, I want to remind you about the encouragement that Peter presented in the third chapter of his second epistle. It's there where the apostle Peter declares, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle In both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire or what we might call global warming. The earth is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. According to Peter, Christians have, can have great confidence in knowing that Christ Jesus is going to fulfill all of his prophetic promises. And while there are those who have no confidence in my ability to understand these end time events, I encourage you to realize that whether I understand it or not, the Lord is going to fulfill all of these things according to his perfect timing. And so rather than throwing the end times baby out with the bathwater, Let's rest in the comfort, the comfort that comes from our confidence in knowing that our Savior is going to save those who trust in him. And he's providing ample time for every person to come to repentance. With that being the case, I encourage you to remember that those who trust in Jesus ought to maintain prophetic coherence as we set out to make sure that our beliefs about end time events actually line up with the prophecies that we find in the scriptures. We should also consider the particular convergence of events that are currently taking place so that we might realize that the rapture of the church appears to be on the horizon. And finally, we should embrace the personal confidence that comes from the prophetic word of God so that we can stand strong with our Savior. And yes, even in the face of those who are mocking our Messiah. We live in this day when scoffers are scoffing. And even many in the church are no longer interested in end time events. And yet I would encourage you to take comfort in the personal confidence that comes from knowing that all of these things are going to be fulfilled according to the promises of God. And so to sum it all up, the signs of the times that we see happening before us today, they seem to suggest that it's time for us to lift up our heads As we look for the day of our redemption, which is drawing nearer and nearer every day. But until that day comes, let's continue to accomplish the Great Commission. Let's continue leading unbelievers to the Lord. So that they might repent and embrace our Savior, Jesus Christ, according to his perfect will. Let's pray.